Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to church. Ah, you know, we want you to feel welcome. We want you to feel the love. If a friend or family invited you to church today, then they owe you something from our cafe. We have, inc we seriously have incredible coffee over there. It's so good, we don't, we're not turning any profit on the cafe. That's how good it is. We don't have Folgers. We got the good stuff. So get over there, get a coffee. Welcome everybody if you're new. We love you. Hope you feel the love of God and you feel just welcome to be with us. Number two, I want to give a shout out to Paul and Grace. Where are they? Where are they? Where are they? Yeah, you guys, we're so glad you're here. And secondly, uh, Roy and Casey. Where are they? Roy and Casey. Where are you? Yeah, right here. Come on, you guys. These guys are here. Um, They're the world leaders for Christian surfers. And you guys, they are... These people are, first and foremost, God's love, hands and feet and love in the world, and secondly, ours. And so we are just so honored to have you with us, you guys. We, wow, wow. I, I, now I'm nervous to preach, man. Now I, got a, I got a crowd here today. Uh, hey, another quick announcement. We've got baptism after service. And if you've never been baptized and made that public declaration of faith to Jesus and you would like to, you can just do it spontaneously, just so you know. Um, but I want to encourage you, stick around afterwards. Let's gather around and support these people, okay? Stick around for a minute. Let's give them a shout of heaven as they get in the water. Number two, uh, tomorrow night, 8 to 9 p.m., all the men in the house say, what's up? <laughs> we got a prayer meeting tomorrow. And uh, I want to invite you to come to that as well. Uh, my hope is that we develop... Uh, a, a pattern, like a, a, a habit of gathering together, all the men getting together and just worshiping God. It's one hour. There's something about all the men getting together. We don't have to hit those falsettos and sopranos. We can just, just do our man thing and just sing off key together. It's going to be awesome. I want you to come. Please come. Invite someone to come with you. And uh, that's tomorrow. Okay, here we go. Um, we're going to go into Jonah. And before I read the passage to you, I want to get you, get you juiced up and ready. And um, have you ever been angry with God? That's the opening question I want you to think about. Have you ever, ever had a moment where you were angry with God? It, it's a little bit like being angry with your parent. My, one of my sons, when they were really young, uh, wasn't given something they wanted and they were absolutely self-righteous and convinced they deserved what they wanted. And mom said no. And so my son looks at mom, his mom, and says, imagine a little guy, big cheeks, big curly hair. And he looks at his mom, he goes, I don't believe you, and I don't believe God. And that was his way of sticking it to mom, because he, know, he knows we love God. And so he's like, I'm going to stick it to you. <laughs> Have you ever been angry with God? Uh, I remember uh, I got I did something I wasn't supposed to do as a little guy, and I kind of tried to hide it, but my parents found out, and I got in trouble, got grounded for the entire weekend. I was sent to my room, and I was angry at God. Isn't this interesting? I, I don't know why I went there, but I was angry at God for not getting my back and covering for me. No, seriously. I was so angry. I was, God, how could you let me get caught? No, this is me, a little guy, angry at God, and I was so angry I gave God not one, but two middle fingers. I did. 
Yeah, you're not so sure. Can I laugh? Should I be worried about? <laughs> I, I love when I share that story because people are like, ooh, uh, don't worry. God got me back, so now I'm a pastor for the rest of my life. He's like, ah, I'm going to get you, buddy. I saw that. I got, the, I got you. <laughs> I'm working that off still today. Uh, in all seriousness, have you ever been angry with God? Uh, let's get into Jonah now, today's passage. I'm just going to read it to you. You can sit where you are. Jonah, if you haven't been with us, is this prophet who's been speaking God's words to people. But then God says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, which is the capital city of Assyria, Israel's arch enemy, all right? This is as if God was sending today somebody to the leaders of Hamas to say, hey, let's have a talk, right? It's, it's dicey. And so Jonah runs away from God. God gets a hold of him. Jonah repents. All right, God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't run from you. He, he brings God's message to Nineveh. Nineveh repents, and uh, they, they receive his message, and God has compassion, and the whole city is saved, story over. Not so fast. Uh, you would think Jonah would be excited, but let's read right here. Um, last week we read this. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened, and Jonah threw a party to celebrate. Watch what happens here. Let's go to the next verse. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. Oh, slow to anger, abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. You can just feel the disdain here. Now let's go to the next verse. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Ah, oh, isn't this weird? I mean, if you're just joining us, you're like, what is up with this? I knew these people of God were vengeful people. And, you know, maybe you're, a Chris, you're not a Christian here today. You're joining us, you know, like, man, what is up with Christians when they get all uppity and angry. Well, you know, we're going to talk about that a little bit and how God works with Jonah through this. Um, this whole journey hasn't just been a journey about renewing Nineveh. It's been about also God getting to Jonah's heart. Are you with me? Because now Jonah or Nineveh is saved. It, it's all good. Mission accomplished. But we have still a whole chapter of God working with Jonah. And that's because God is committed to our transformation. He doesn't want to just use us to get the mission done. He wants to change our life in the process as well. Are you with me on that? That's what we see going on with Jonah here. Um, it's God renewing Jonah, and this is the main idea we're going to draw out of today's passage, is that God's compassion for us and through us to others is what renews us. It's God's compassion for us working through us that renews us. And we're going to talk about how the, the, the relationship between the moments where we experience God's compassion for us personally and how it has to move to God flowing his compassion through us to others for us to complete the circuit and allow God's love to really change us in the innermost parts of our hearts, the parts that want to hide in the closet and under the bed 
and go undiscovered. God's bringing those things out. See, Jonah was thrilled about God's compassion when it was for him. Do you remember chapter two? I mean, he sings God's praise. But now that it's for their enemy, he's not so excited. Now, what I love about this moment is the anger part. It's the anger that I love about this story because when you think about getting angry with God, that's like a no-fly zone. You cannot get angry at God and get away with it. And what I love here is that this story brings up something inevitable for anybody who's going to take God seriously in their life. If you're going to take God seriously and follow him, especially into his love for you, and through you to others, you are going to have moments when you're going to want to be angry with God too. Raise your hand if you can think of a moment when you've been angry with God. Raise a hand. Come on. Have you ever been angry with God? I love that honesty because, see, it's not anger with God that's the threat to our relationship with God. It's what we do with it. And what I love about Jonah is he is angry. And we're going to see in a minute how he gives God the middle finger. But he brings that anger to God in prayer. He doesn't take the anger and walk away from God with it. No, there's the difference. When we bring our anger to God, it becomes the place in which God transforms our life. Anger isn't something we want to hide or indulge, but it allow it to become an indicator of something that God wants to do deeper in our hearts. So, where we experience the challenge is where God wants to invite us into renewal. That's what I want to hit on. The challenge and the invitation, all right? So let's start with the challenge. It's really obvious here. I picked these three verses because it just focuses on Jonah. Notice there's nothing really about God doing anything here. God has compassion. Now we're just looking at Jonah and how Jonah reveals the condition of our own heart. And I want to create room for that before we get to next week where God and Jonah work it out. The challenge of God's compassion. Let's dig into this. Verse 1, let me read it again. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. There he is, bringing it to God. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. So now we know why he ran from God. It wasn't because he was afraid of being killed by this cruel and powerful nation. No, no. He would rather die than see God's goodness and kindness for them. That's why he runs. So the whole book is about both Jonah and his struggle to receive God's compassion for himself, but even more, the struggle to have compassion for his enemies. Now, I want to talk about this phrase right here, the phrase very wrong. It it doesn't really capture really what's going on because the Hebrew word, ra'ah, that he says, you are very wrong, is the word for evil and wickedness. It's used three times in the book of Jonah. It's used to describe the evil and the wickedness of Nineveh. So when God says, I want you to go and preach against the wickedness of this city, it's the word ra'ah. And Jonah is saying, oh yeah, you want me to preach about Nineveh's evil? How about your evil, God? Because what you're doing and showing kindness to these people is worse than what they're doing. Now that's, that's the middle finger. Jonah's saying, God, your compassion is extremely wicked. 
And Jonah struggles to reconcile God's compassion with his holiness and his justice. How could God show kindness to Israel's enemy? Have you ever struggled with God's compassion in a moment like this? Have you ever struggled with the idea of God's compassion and wondered, gosh, if I show compassion, am I going to communicate that I condone the behavior? Ever been there? Have you ever struggled to, to see, to have compassion for somebody, thinking if I show compassion, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let them off the hook? They need to pay for what they did. Ever been there? Or how about this one? If I, if I show compassion, um, it's going to cost me something, and uh, I'm going to get taken advantage of. That's a little bit of what's going on for Jonah. You know, God, I thought you were on our side. And make no mistake, Nineveh was a superpower. They were so renowned for their cruelty and torture. They were a terrorist state that used intimidation to get everybody to cooperate. There are, there are carvings in stone depicting their glorious torture practices cutting people's heads off, making family members carry their loved ones' heads on posts while they are humiliated in public. I mean, they were renowned, even by those 8th century standards. Have you ever struggled with God's compassion in a moment? Um, I, that's what I love about this passage here. Because, you know, we know the right answer, but what I love about the Bible is how raw and honest it is about the things we struggle with when it comes to following God. I love that, and I can relate to Jonah. I can relate to the struggle, and so I got five points of relating, my five C's, a challenge that I experience when it comes to walking out into God's compassion for others. This is my list. Maybe you can relate to a few, you know, if you're as bad as I am. Here we go. Um, number one, when it comes to living out God's compassion for others, I struggle sometimes with having to step out of my comfort zone, because sometimes allowing God's compassion to work through us means we got to get uncomfortable. Ever been there? Ever have to, ever felt like, okay, for me to do that, I'm going to have to get a little out of my comfort zone, like maybe reach over and greet somebody new at church on Sunday morning. Ever feel that one? Come on now. Don't underestimate the power of a smile and a handshake to someone who's coming to church. See, as a pastor, I see what you don't see. You look around, you see a bunch of beautiful looking people. But I hear the stories behind the scenes. People coming to church just finding out that they have a terminal disease or close relationships are on the rocks and frayed at the edges. And they're just lucky they made it here. And to get someone to turn to them, say, I'm so glad you're here. What's your name? And to be warm and smiling. Every week I hear about people so grateful for that. But comfort zone, to step out of our comfort zone and reach out to somebody. I remember one time I was... Uh, Oh, I'll, I'll show that story later. Okay, number two. How about the cost, right? Uh, the cost. Uh, when it costs something valuable to show God's compassion in time, energy, possessions, or money, right? Like, letting, like hosting someone in our home and giving up our free evening to just let someone, you know, feel some love from a family or from a friend. Or how about this one, control. When it means Letting things get messy and there's no quick fix. Like one time I remember I was driving and when I was in my 20s and I saw this guy it, it, 
broken on the side of the road back before Uber, you know, believe it or not, back before cell phones. And yes, Abraham Lincoln was my neighbor. It goes that far back, you know. And I just pulled over. And I just felt God to say, hey, help this guy. Next thing you know, the guy, you know, needs a ride to Orange County. I'm in La Jolla. Yeah, that was like a letting go of control. Okay, all right, that's not my plan for today, but God, I'm with you. Let's go. And sometimes allowing God to flow through us to others means we're letting go of control. Number th- how about this one, number four? Uh, comparison. I like this one. Um, when God shows compassion to someone else with something we desperately need and we're bitter and resentful about it. Have you ever had God do something good for someone else and you're like, God, what about me? Like somebody else meets the love of their life and you've been waiting for 15 years and you still haven't met that somebody or Someone's like, oh, we just got our, our new house. And you're like, man. And it's like their second house. And you're like, I don't even have a house at all. And you're like, where's my house, God? Or, you know, when, when God does good for others and we are waiting for that same goodness. Ever been there? Come on. Someone makes the team that you don't make. Someone gets the raise you don't get. Yeah. Come on, God. Where's my Where's my blessing? Or, you know, this last one, it's not compromise. It should say controversy. When stepping into God's compassion means we step into the controversy of, gosh, to do this, am I communicating that I condone bad behavior or am I conflicting with my convictions? Like a friend of mine who's a father and has a son who's come out with same-sex attraction, and he's struggling. He's like, man, I want to show my son that I love him and support him, but man, I don't want to show that I support that lifestyle. I am caught in the middle. He's like, how do I handle this? Because his son is pursuing that lifestyle. He's like, I want relationship, but I don't want to communicate that I, that I, I believe in this, and he's feeling stuck. Can you relate to that tension in your life anywhere? The challenge of compassion. Maybe you can come up with some of your own C's, like maybe capacity. When God's compassion starts to stretch us beyond our capacity, and we're like, God, how far should I go before it's no longer healthy for me? Where is it for you? Well, I want to share with you a quick example of someone dealing with this to bring it home for us personally. Um, I was in I was in, uh, at a conference in Rome a couple years ago. I know, tough life, right? And I meet this pastor from Sweden. And uh, let's just show their picture up. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he was sharing a story with me, and he was sharing with me about how um, this situation with Syrian refugees was presenting a challenge for him about compassion, right? And so in 2011 to 2015, there was the Arab uh, up, uh, Spring, all this turmoil in these Arab countries, like in Egypt, if you remember, where people were pushing back against these totalitarian governments, huge persecution on those who were fighting for reform, and and people by the thousands, by the hundreds of thousands, were fleeing to Greece to find refuge from the war and the violence. Well, Sweden had um, committed to an open border policy, and 163,000 Syrian refugees started to flow into their country. And for this friend of mine, uh, he was saying, you know, 
I didn't agree with that border policy. I didn't like it. I didn't feel like our country could integrate and support that kind of influx of people and their need. Now, maybe right now you're tempted to, you know, be a little uncomfortable and be like, hmm, I don't like this guy and his lack of compassion. Look at these people. They need, they have need. Why, why isn't he being more open? Or maybe on the other side, I don't like that the country opened their borders like that. Well, that's why I picked it, because it's kind of got that tension, right? And this story isn't about our border policies. It's about the way that we find ourselves in the messiness of how do we live out God's compassion when it feels like, gosh, you know, there's controversy here, there's cost. Now, this is what's interesting. He was struggling with this because as these refugees were coming into the country, it was bringing poverty. It was, and they have seen an influx of crime because of that. And they have struggled. They have struggled as a country to integrate these people into their community. And it's created socioeconomic tension and conflict for their country. Are you with me? So it's messy. And he's wondering, what do I do as a pastor in our church? You see, I struggled with this message, couldn't finish it, had to get up at four in the morning today to finish it because I was trying to find ways to solve all of the tension of all the scenarios that we might find ourselves in trying to carry God's compassion to others. And I realized God was saying, don't try to solve it, acknowledge it. And call my people to not run from the tension, but to lean into it. Because the tension can make us want to run and hide. But the tension is where we will meet God and be transformed. And because it's tension and it's messy, to not feel like it's always easy to have the answers of what about this or what about that, or to cast judgment on other people's call to live out God's compassion because it's messy and there's no way around it. Think of Jesus and his love for the Roman centurion, the occupying military power over Israel during his life. How about Jesus's love for um, the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes that scandalized his ministry to the point when he was healing a man with a shriveled hand and he did it on the Sabbath. The most devoted people in the country, the Pharisees, were so offended by his compassion that they began to plot to kill Jesus. It's messy. And so as we wade into these waters, I feel like God just wants us to know it's okay, but don't run from it. Lean into it. So, the challenge. But how about this? Oh, and, I, and you know what I didn't, didn't mention is, you know what's really interesting about the Syrian story is that the Syrians are the modern-day descendants of ancient Assyria. Isn't that weird? I, saw, I just had to share that with you guys because I thought you'd appreciate that. And like, it's so weird. Here we are again. Man, what do we do with, with these people? Invitation. So that's the challenge. Let's go to the invitation. And back to the scripture, it says this, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. I mean, what's going on here? It's like Jonah's getting melodramatic, right? It's like a telenovela right here. He's like, you know, oh, I might as well die, God. But this is so painful and so hard, something so deep about Jonah is having to shift 
in this moment that I think he literally would rather die than have to go through this. And it speaks to the deep challenges that we're going to experience as we walk with God into his compassion, the deep ways that things will be needing to shift in how we see ourselves and how we see God, and how we see the world, the nice, tidy boxes that we have are going to get messed up. That's real. I think this is real for Jonah, and it's real for us. Let's talk about the invitation, and it's an invitation into deeper relationship with God and to a greater purpose in our life than we can make for our own. So let's start with Jonah. Jonah knows about God's compassion, right? Let's go back. He knows about God's compassion in what ways? Number one, he knows God's compassion through the scriptures. He's got the Bible verse. He's quoting Exodus 34 right here, right? This is where God and Moses meet on the mountain in Sinai. Israel's ancient history, when they were brought out from being slaves from Egypt, God meets with them on the mountain. He goes, this is who I am. This is my core identity. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. So Jonah knows it, and he quotes it. Number two, Jonah's experienced it personally. In chapter 2, verse 9, listen to this. It says this. Jonah is about to drown. God saves him, and listen to his words. He goes, um, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, I will say what? Salvation comes from the Lord. Man, God, you're so good. Ah, God, you are so compassionate, man. Lord, thank you. Wait a minute. You know, then he has like a, like a different strokes kind of a moment, you know, like, uh, what you talking about, Willis? And he's like, what do you mean, God? And that same compassion for him is now turned towards his enemies. Okay, now here's the thing. He's got it in the head. He's got it in the heart, but something's still missing. We can see that. What's missing? Head, heart. Yeah, yeah. If you want to really read, go deep on this, you got to read Nick Gilmore's dissertation. His doctoral dissertation was all about this. Knowing and serving God and loving God with our head, our heart, and our hands. Now, this is really important, right? Because check this out. You can know the truth of God here reading the Bible. You can know the truth of God personally by experience, but it is incomplete when we are not living it out and expressing it as God's hands to other people. Now, that's important. It's not about earning our salvation. It's not about working for God's love. It is about allowing the love of God for us to flow through us to other people. Let's go to the next slide right here. And that completes the circuit. Think of a circuit board, right? If you don't have a closed circuit, that energy, that electric current is going to like, I don't know, I'm not a physicist. What does it really do? You know, I don't know. Ask my son. I couldn't remember. It, I was a bio guy. But you know, you're not going to have it doing what it's supposed to do, right? You've got to close the circuit. This is what I'm talking about. If you're only receiving God's compassion, but you're not about giving it, our faith can be just another consumer product for our own self-help. We come to church. I want God's compassion. I want to feel good about my life. I want to feel like God loves me and everyone loves me. And now I can leave and I feel good about myself. And that's important that you feel that way. But if that's where it ends, 
if the love that God is loving you with is not also going through you to others, then it's incomplete. And our relationship with God gets arrested in development. And God becomes a consumer product for us. But check this out. If you're giving God's love, you're giving his compassion out there, changing the world, making a difference, you know, a thousand lives all at once, and you are single-handedly saving the world, right? Then what? But you are not receiving God's compassion. You're not allowing yourself rest. You feel like every needy situation is something you gotta solve, and you feel the burden of the whole world on your shoulders, then you are gonna end up not knowing God's compassion for you. You're gonna end up burned out and angry and resentful, feeling like God's servant and not like God's son and daughter. Now, I want to talk to you about an angry older son. Now, last week I talked about Jesus' parable. If you don't know the parable and you're new to this whole Christian thing, Jesus told this story about a father with two sons. The younger son, and we talked about last week, the younger son says, Dad, give me my inheritance, my share of the inheritance. Since the father has two sons, that's half the inheritance of the family. He says, thank you very much. He goes off to college and he spends it on wild partying, on his frat life, and just wastes everything in wild living, eventually realizes, oh my gosh, that was so lame. I'm broke, I'm hungry, I had it better with my dad. He comes back to his dad, and his dad receives him with open arms. End of story, right? God loves me. Over, done. No, no, no. See, that brother has an older brother, and that brother did not take off and waste all the family's money. He stayed back. He was dutiful. He did everything right. He, was, he took on double the load of work because his brother had left. He held up the family. He stood his ground. That brother comes in from the field working a double ship covering his brother's absenteeism, and his brother walks in, and then the older brother comes in from the field, and he finds out about the party going on for his brother, and he is thrilled for his brother. And yeah, <laughs> Let's go, right here, right here, check this out. The older brother became, oh, see, let's try again. The older brother became, yeah, there it is. There we got Jonah, and God is saying something to us about our hearts, and he refused to go in. So his father went out, and get this, pay attention to the father. So the father went out and pleaded with him. How many times does this father need to be offended and disrespected? You know what I mean? But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been, what? Slaving. I've been slaving for you, God. I didn't go get drunk. I didn't party. I didn't hook up. What's going on, God? Why are you letting me go through this? Come on. Never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered, squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? I mean, can you feel it, guys? Can you feel it? Don't you kind of just, aren't you, don't you just sympathize with this guy? I mean, I'm with him. I mean, seriously, I am the older one in my family. I'm the oldest of five kids, right? I'm holding the fort down. I'm doing all the work. You come back and you get a party? 
It's like, what? Man, why aren't you getting grounded for the weekend? Anger. What about me? What doesn't the older son realize? What's the point of this story? Why does Jesus tell this side of the story? You see, that's the story of Jonah. Because see, in part one of the book, Jonah is the prodigal son. He's running from God, and then he experiences God's grace. Now, Jonah is the older son, and he's angry about God's compassion for his enemies. Isn't that really the truth about us? This tension between receiving this radical love that God now wants us to demonstrate to others, this radical, undeserved, sacrificial love for us. Now we are supposed to go out and love others? Our spouse who won't put the toilet seat down. It's like, come on, God. That's crossing a line. I know, that's my proverbial... I can't believe it. Um, what's, what's, what's this finish? Look at right here. Verse 31. This is what the father says. My son. The father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. I mean, just let that sink in for a minute. Listen to what he's saying. <laughs> You're mad about him wasting all that stuff? You've had, you have me. Besides, whatever I have, it is yours. Why aren't you enjoying it? Now watch what, right here. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. There's a lot to say here. Certainly the older son doesn't realize that he is in need of the father's forgiveness and grace as much as the younger son. See, the story teaches us that we can be just as lost running away from God as we can staying in his house, obeying him and doing everything he asks of us. You can be absolutely devoted to God, doing everything God asks you to do, and be just as lost because you think, just like this older son, that your obedience and your faithfulness has earned God's love. You don't realize that your love, that God's love for you is as undeserved as it is for that other guy. And we don't understand that. And because we don't understand that, we don't understand the extravagance, the radicalness of God's love for us. Do you see how this is coming around? In fact, it's almost like God is saying, Jonah, do you see Nineveh? Yeah, do you see how bad they are? That is how actually messed up you are. Look at you right now calling me evil. And I love you with the same grace. See, if you had to define compassion, how would you define it? If you were to look it up in the dictionary, what would you find or online? How, how, do, how do they define compassion online? Just take a second, turn and just give like a quick descriptor. If you had to explain, get up here right now and say, if I called you up, Give us a one-liner about compassion. What would you say? Turn and just share that real quick. Just three seconds. Turn and share. Real quick. Just turn. Real quick. Just get your brain working. All right. 
this is what I got. This is what I got. If you want to really boil it down, compassion is the drive to help those in need, okay? To put it simple, the drive to help those in need. But the Bible has a bigger vision of compassion. God's compassion is more than that. It's got two other essential components. Number one, God's compassion is also undeserved help for those in need. Are you with me? His compassion is undeserved. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn this. You don't, you, don't, you, didn't, you don't deserve this morally. You don't deserve this practically, pragmatically. You don't deserve it. And number two, it's sacrificial help. It is the drive to help those in need, those in, who don't deserve it, with sacrificial help. See, undeserved. Oh, you're, man, you're like my bro, my best friend, and last week you got me a birthday gift? I'm going to get you a birthday gift now, you know what I mean? Because you, you helped me out, so I'm going to help you out. That's good. I mean, hopefully we can at least do that, but this is like undeserved. Okay, so number two, sacrificial. It's like, this is not out of the overflow of what I got in my wallet. This is like maybe all I've got at the moment, or in some way it causes a pinch for me. This is the way that God loves us. And this is what God is trying to communicate. And it's when God, see, watch, when God is loving us, there's always going to be a part of us that feels like, well, I'm just so attractive and charismatic and cute and clever. You know I mean? Look at me. Look at my style. I have incredible style. And, you know, there's no way God can't just a little bit want to do this, right? Because look how awesome I am. Um, there's always a little bit of that for us as humans, right? Because that's how it is between us and other people, right? Like, we show up with our teeth brushed, our hair combed, and deodorant on because, right, we want people to be around us. Um, but see, here's the thing. When God is asking us to love someone else who doesn't deserve it and it's sacrificial, it's God's way of, of showing us, this is how I love you. Like, see, this is how I care about you. As you're giving sacrificially, I have sacrificed for you more than you could ever give, and I will always have your back. And it begins to expand our life. Because if we realize there's nothing we can do to deserve God's love, then there's nothing we can do to exhaust it or lose it. My friends, that is firm ground for our life. Sweden, part two. Let's just wrap this up. I want to just bring it to application so we can get out of here. Look at this. Let's go to that. Yeah, yeah. So what did my friend do? So my friend was stuck. Doesn't like the policy. I don't think this is going to be good for us as a country, but here's an opportunity. Do we take it or not? And obviously you know where this is going to go. He does take it. He says, you know what? We went for it. I sent a team all the way from Sweden down to Greece with a sign, big sign, in, in the, their language saying, Jesus loves you, and there's a place for you in Uppsala. And 163,000 refugees made the trek across Europe into Sweden. Not all of those 163,000 came to his town, but in his little town of Karlsbad in Sweden, um, this, a bunch of these uh, refugees came into their community, and they came with the good, their bad, and their ugly. They came with 
a faith that the Swedes couldn't relate to. They came with a language they couldn't understand. They came with their poverty. They came with their anger. They came with their brokenness and their trauma. They came with all of their cultural differences and the messiness, and it was, it was a mess. And to be sure, it still is. But in the midst of all that real, honest-to-God mess, this is not like a Cinderella where it's just smooth and easy. It's a mess. In the midst of that mess people started to find Jesus. Now, let me just tell you an example. He's like, people started experiencing Jesus in ways that we never could have imagined. Our church was kind of a complacent, comfortable church, and all of a sudden, God started shaking us up, and we started seeing Jesus reach these Muslims in ways that we had never experienced Jesus. So, for example, I go, tell me a story. Well, imagine three families crammed into a studio, 12 people, and Jesus walks into the room, and together, they all see him. Not a dream, not some weird vision. They all see Jesus in the room, and he says, hey, I'm Jesus, and I want you to know me, and I want you to believe in me and give your life to me, and I'm sending two people here to help you trust them, and he's gone, and these are hardcore devoted Muslims, okay? When the couple from the church shows up to say, hey, do you need food, clothes, you know, blankets? They're like, uh, yeah, but we need Jesus more, tell us about Jesus. And they're like, whoa. No, seriously. And they're like, how do you even know about Jesus? And they told them, he was just here. And he told us you were coming. The whole, everyone in the room became believers. Stories like that, people coming to faith, the church started having all these Syrian refugees <laughs> becoming Christians. They started piling into their church. You know, they had to, things got messy, right? They had to have services and they separate services for them for their own language, but then they go, no, we want to be together, so now they're doing earpieces, and, you know, they're like sometimes preaching in, their, in one language and another, and they're all trying to be in it together. You know, they're like, well, we don't know how to serve your community, so some of the refugees were asked to join their leadership team to help with the care of the people, and it's just been, and he's like, you know, Ryan, renewal has hit our church. I've never seen our church more alive, more on fire for God. The intimacy of Christ in our lives is through the roof. Our church knows Jesus in a way that's more intimate and personal, and they're a part of a purpose that's so much bigger, and it's messy. It's not always easy, but God is on the move. And I just love that story because there's a lot of things like we can't answer about it. What about this? What about that? It's controversial and it's messy. But as we step in and say, God, use me. Let the compassion for me flow through me to others. We are going to be transformed and changed. Because I want to end on this. Ben, come on out. This is my last line for you. Last one. God's compassion for us saves us. God's compassion through us changes us. And I want you to take that to heart. You can be saved by God's love by just receiving his love for you, but it's allowing God to love others through you that changes you as a person. As we go into this song, we're going to go out and we're going to have a time to jump into the, the baptism Jonah ends by saying, Lord, take away my life. It'd be better for me to die. What if in a way that's true? What if it would be better for him to die? Not in the way that he thinks, but in the way that Jesus thinks. Listen to Jesus. For whoever wants to save their life will, and whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will, 
It's in losing our life in that tension, that challenge. Don't run from it. Allow the Lord to lead you to that place where he's inviting you to lose your life for his gospel, to bring his undeserved, sacrificial love to this world. People started filling into this church and the church exploded. It's a massive church now because people saw happening in that church what they desperately wanted to see happen for their country. Now the country is still dealing with stuff, but what people are seeing is what it's like to live, not in Sweden, but the kingdom of God.